Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, a show we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. It's another awesome Marvel Fanfare Friday here, and we're going to be taking a look at two solo titles that it's such a pleasure to get to talk about. You know, a year ago, we weren't covering anywhere near the scope that we're covering at this point. We've expanded our product to include more than just the mutant titles. Initially, we tried to reach out and include anything like mutant adjacent, so ultimately, I feel like we would have covered these two books either way. Kazar and its ties to the Savage Land, of course the Savage Land being one of the X-Men's favorite places to hang out, and Shang-Chi finally having a mutant sister. Just kind of seems like it makes sense, right? The total synergy of the Marvel Universe now that they have access to the X-Men over in the MCU. It just feels like a really exciting time for a lot of characters to see some pretty tremendous change. And that's one of the central focuses of today's episode. In the pages of Kazar, the Savage Land sees a status quo reimagining that our team could not be more excited to discuss, followed by the sort of deep dive into the emotional resonance of what's going on in the pages of Shang-Chi. But first up, let's take a look at that Savage Land adventure, and we hope you guys enjoy. Don't forget, if you guys like what you hear, you might even like what you see, so give us a subscribe over on Twitter at XIsForPodcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting segment of X for Podcast, where we talk about mutants, magic, and Marvel week after week. I'm Nathan, and you can find me online at Dazzler AOA. That's like Dazzler in the Age of Apocalypse. And I'm Raven, aka Dame Red Bento, and you can find me over on Twitter and Instagram mostly. So yeah, come on over. Hi, I'm Steve. You can find me on Twitter at Howdy Duda. That's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. And we hope you survive this experience, unlike this cultural deity of chaos and unorder that was trying to bring death upon the entire world and rottenness. And Matthew was going along with it until he was like, you killed my parents and had a complete 180 <laughs> in two seconds. You're not my dad. Like, yeah. yeah. I'm not your dad. I killed him. <laughs> so, I mean, we've got polyscions. We've got dead dinosaurs. We've got the body of Kazar. I guess that means we are celebrating Kazar number five. I don't know if we're celebrating. Maybe I'm mourning the loss of the series. to Savage Land. <laughs> what? Sorry. You said the body of Kazar. I just couldn't stop myself. Okay. I also was thinking a little bit religious because I was like, body of Christ? Body of Christ? Body of Kazar? Body of Kazar? <laughs> so, in the church of the Savage Land, they eat, little, they eat the body and they drink the wine of Kazar. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. Mmm. Yum. Grows um, little pterodactyl wings. <laughs> oh, but that would actually fit in the, the tone of the story. Yeah. So our writer for this amazing series was Zach Thompson. Jermaine Garcia and Alvaro Lopez were our artists. Matthias Lopez is our color artist. Vicis Joe Carmagna is our letter. What were our expectations coming into this series? What were we feeling coming into this final issue? Did we get what we wanted out of it? I wasn't expecting much because I knew that... It- it could easily go off the rails but i was also expecting a lot because one through four 
was so good. So yeah, I was like, please do good. Please do good. Please do good. And I was, it didn't go the way I thought it went. In fact, it was so much better. Like loved it. Yeah. I'm uh, slowly becoming a semi-expert on reading Zach Thompson books. <laughs> and <laughs> this is definitely exactly what I expected from the series. I'm not saying like it was predictable or anything like that, but like this is the this is the focus that I wanted and expected from it and it delivered wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really think I got everything I needed out of this series for the entire Kazar family because they are no longer the Plunders. They've released those names. They've relinquished their uh, ties to uh, Kevin Plunder and the plundering family of plundering the savage <laughs> land and plundering. <laughs> He's the savage land ruler formerly known as Kevin Plunder. The most Ex- nail on the head last name ever. But it's so perfect and so beautiful for the character. But what I really love, essentially the thank you letter at the very end of this issue, uh, mm. almost brought like a tear to my eye because they, I feel like they were talking about what their mission was for this character and for this series and what this was meant. I I think they delivered this beautiful not only message but this beautiful love letter for this character and this world that is so fascinating and interesting that marvel i feel like underutilizes the savage land not a lot of stories seem to be centered there oftentimes i think teams will visit for like a few issues but then they'll leave and then the savage land is kind of just like not there anymore they kind of pretend it doesn't exist but what i love that they talked about the entire team that they wanted to set worth in doing is modernizing the character of Kazar and having him be brought into the forefront of what does this character look like now? How do you make this character modern? And I really think they delivered a story to be able to have this character in the forefront of not only our minds, but in terms of modernity and having the path laid out for any future writers who want to give stories to these this family and this world. Steve, you I know you had also mentioned how much you love this thank you letter i encourage any of our listeners and any readers of this comic to like actually take the time to sit down with it but between between zach talking about you know this eco horror revival of like the jungle lord and the looming climate crisis in our own world and making the connections between that i think the most important part of that is the call to action which is Mm -hmm. something that more comic books should do when the ka team says now's the time to rewild our minds and take leaps toward defining new worlds that previously looked impossible they they ask like if you find yourself worried about the future of the planet we hope that you'll join Kazar and defy despair we're all nothing if not reluctant heroes in waiting each given the great responsibility of stewardship for a dying wilderness and then closing on the on the sentiment that we can all adapt and we can all evolve and I thought that was I thought that was necessary for the series and I think it's a large part about what works about the series like as Jonah said it's a it's a modernization of a character that doesn't work anymore having a, a regular kind of colonialist white savior archetype in Kazar with the last name Plunder and like obviously the character is ironic from the beginning you know right like the the intention of the character is that he's not like his father but in the same way that many of us end up thinking that we're not not so similar to our parents but then repeating their old ways Kazar has been doing that throughout his entire publication history and Savage Land stories often do too so the main thing that I mean beyond the ultimate message of like we should be working in harmony and in accordance and in symbiosis with with the land and with all natural life rather than trying to dominate control or change it for our uses like Domovoy and the polyscience here instead of forcing evolution forcing change upon the world in the way that we see fit we should be learning to rewild ourselves and our ways of thinking and learning to be more in harmony and in a sustainable mode of living in order to to live on this earth as the 
living beings that we are and that we're a part of. And uh, now going forward, we have a savage land that is that, a savage land that is ha- has autonomy for its indigenous people and for the settlers who have become the indigenous people, so to speak, of the savage land. And it has a protector who is not a master and somebody who is not only cut ties with the colonial forebears that created them, the entire family, but also now is something distinctly different from human even, a part of the land, an avatar of what it is. So I like the journey for Khazar from Lord of the Savage Land to like an avatar of the Savage Land. And I think that's going to help because now you can make stories about Khazar without sweating bullets over how it's how you're going to write it. So in that way, I think the series really delivered. Yeah, totally agree. That was actually a, a wonderful distinction. He did go from being Lord of the Savage Land, which is, you know, usually a title reserved for somebody who rules over a place but doesn't necessarily care for it to champion. And even like Lord is often like used like a colonizer type of way like usually like the the people native to it don't consider themselves a lord over an area usually it's a colonizer that comes in and they're like i'm the lord now i control this and ha 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 fuck your ways yeah absolutely yeah so he went from lord to being champion of the savage land so somebody who works for the land and for the people and you know is is you know appointed and and held true because of what they do for the place not just oh i'm here and i'm just gonna go ahead and call myself you know the ruler of everything Mm -hmm. throughout this series not only has the writing been just so sharp and on point but gotta call out beautiful use of colors throughout the story that really magnify the already epic level of art that's in it the color stories and palettes that are told here really give the savage land and each of its areas such a different feel the way they were able to connect this beautiful beautiful natural environment with the more horrifying body horror that Zach Thompson seems to love to write and fucking excels at. What stood out the most for all of y'all in this issue and in the series all together for art. Herman Garcia is amazing. Alvaro Lopez is amazing. Mateus Lopez is amazing. But Joe Carmagna is one of my new yeah. number ones. Like I have completely fallen in love with his very interesting lettering style. I mean, it's obviously he does different work on different books, but the way that he works with, with Mateus Lopez on this one and the way that it fits into every page, like just opening this one and seeing the racacoom and the rar and the thum 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 with the dreadnoughtus, like these are such such exciting letters. The the aspects are absolutely phenomenal throughout the series and the way that the titles of each page and the the locations come up, it has been like a really, really fun part of the series has been the lettering. And I am a fan of Joe Carmagna where before I knew of him and I knew of his very solid work with BC, but I'm just in love. It's it's fantastic. Oh, I got to agree. The the lettering on this is chef's kiss. The emphasis on the bright words really helped draw those out in the script. SFX, beautiful. I absolutely love it. It all works so well. And I'd say art-wise, I'm so in awe of Kazar with his head cut off and the little flower sprouting out of it. Just fucking love that shit. And a little bit further, when he's in the coffin is a young Kevin Plunder and his body is rebuilt and it's page with eye, like, getting mm-hmm. reattached uh, and his whole body coming through. And then right before he becomes his actualized Kazar protector of the Savage, 
Savage Land. So the the beautiful flower that replaced his eye for a moment. Yeah, this mm-hmm. this whole team, including Zach uh, Thompson, really clicks. I would love for them all to get back together for another mini sometime because it just like yes. I don't know they all lend to each other's strengths extremely well. Shanna looks like a like a romance comic protagonist in a way that is yes. extremely good. The amazing amount of detail, especially with the, you know the body horror, the transformation from that very much plant matter to like flesh and skin and bone and sinew. I mean, it was just so beautifully done, just absolutely gorgeously done. I love the fact that it does not look like most of the modern art comics that we have right now, because um, then you just you'd be able to go, oh yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's comic books it's like every other comic book we always see. This beautiful kind of harken back to earlier comics, pulp comics, romance comics. It hits at the root of the original Kazar and the original Savage Land, and it makes you feel like you are reading the the, the creation of Kazar all over again and it fits so beautifully and plays so beautifully with everything that is going on it just it makes you really feel like engrossed in the story and i love the fact that they use that little rose bud at the top of his neck while everything is regrowing because if you know anything about roses they are a flower that means you know passion they also mean death so if you think about like the big events in life like if you're getting married or you're trying to tell somebody hey i really like you you give them roses but at the same point in time if somebody dies or passes away you tend to lay roses on their grave so it was this great interplay right there for me at least on a metaphorical level of him kevin passing away and kazar becoming who they are meant to be mm-hmm. and uh you, you said that like really old school art style i love these like thick mm-hmm. like charcoal like black inks that are just yes. and all the nighttime scenes they're so good but then they pull away to like really fine skittering delicate lines in the body horror scenes so you can see every detail oh it's fucking amazing mm-hmm. <clears throat> what i love about the art uh for this series is that it has a way of making things that should be grotesque look oddly beautiful and the mm-hmm. example that's prime in my mind right now is kazar with his squid arms and so <laughs> objectively looking at this my brain should be going this is grotesque this is body horror that's not how a body is typically supposed to look for a human this is objectively weird but you look at it in the way that it's drawn it's so fluid and seems natural like a part of Kazar's body that it's oddly beautiful and works and I'm like huh that's a weird feeling to get out of this this is meant to be body horror but this is beautiful question mark it's very <laughs> fascinating that the art is able to elicit and invoke these emotions that should be conflicting and shouldn't go together but are able to have them come together harmoniously mm-hmm. yeah it kind of says like i mean especially that scene of kazar's body's reconstruction it kind of says like oh you think this is horrifying but actually it is something beautiful and it's something like normal about life is the transformation from death into new life mm-hmm. so one of the things that i have loved about this story is the evolution and re- 
reconceptualization of the plunder family unit obviously at this issue they dropped the plunder so no longer the plunders how did y'all feel about the journey the family went on do you feel it was a natural evolution and do you feel that matthew was brought into the fold at the right time like do we think that it's realistic that matthew would have rejoined the family when he did yeah why not yeah he's a he's a teenager like they have big emotions and they make snap judgments and decisions and honestly i remember being a teenager and you can realize you're wrong just about as fast as you can do the wrong thing Mm -hmm. also teenagers have no alliance teenagers will (laughs) choose whichever party (laughs) seems fit for them at a blink of an eye and it works and i think it only really works because matthew is so young and is so rash like it's a prior characterization brought to him that he already has these struggles with his parents connecting with them because Mm -hmm. he grew up in the savage land his entire life whereas they didn't so he feels like he has a very special and different connection because he's supposed to be the chosen one and he's already dealing with these emotions of being told you're not the chosen one you're not special you are you weren't meant to be the protectors of these lands and they're like oh well that just makes me mad and now i have to kill my father it's a very oedipus complex but he's not trying to do anything naughty with shauna he's just trying to kill his dad well and i think <laughs> yeah thank god i think his motivations are like super relatable to a lot of like young people getting into biotech as well like especially mm-hmm. since this is all about biotech but like i remember when you know graduating from high school there was a lot of talk about like what we could do with gen- genetically modified organisms there was a lot of talk about new forms of like culture hydroponics stuff like that and there's a lot of excitement i'm not saying that any of those things are bad they're actually in fact good but there's a lot of excitement that comes with being young and being presented with like new technology and ways to say like oh i can kind of make myself the god of this this field i can i can change things faster than ever before in a new and profound ways and find new ways to improve life um as long as i jump wholeheartedly into you know this this new practice and sometimes we jump two feet in before thinking about the consequences of what that is and Mm -hmm. the instinct to push change to happen when it comes to the natural environment and to force adaptation is one that this series ultimately i think argues against in favor of you know working working with the life that you're that you're working to protect rather than trying to make it change to fit something that you think it should be Mm -hmm. no i absolutely and i totally agree that yes they brought matthew in at the right time because yeah he's a teenager he's like 16 and and i can speak from experience you you do not tend to think things fully through i like that it it asks a lot of questions about like how much can you force something out of out of its shape for your own uses Mm -hmm. and how much of that is good and once it's been done i thought this was the most interesting part of the ending because they don't wipe out all the polyscience like you might expect yep. once it's mm-hmm. been done what do you do with the life that is now there it's not always the solution to just wipe it out again because it now is life and it now ha- it's out it's out there it's out there in the world and you have to learn how to coexist with it just the same as you do with the stuff you're more familiar with and that's something that i think is a really important part of this whole mini series the idea of evolution and what you have to do with it and how you have to integrate new factions into a society yeah. the whole thing was right like the polyscions are bad they're going to ruin the savage land but now we're left with them at the end obviously Domavoy is no longer on the table but we're left with the polyscions so like i really want to see this explored further and you know more as 
Jack Thompson story. So please, please, Marvel, you know, give us more. But like, it's really fascinating to wonder, even if we don't get to revisit this, where the Savage Lands is going to go, how the society is going to change, not only from the introduction of the Polyscions, but the destruction of uh, some of the habitats that yeah. got destroyed during mm-hmm. the whole fight. But also, I mean, I, I love the fact that it's talking about multiculturalism in, in such a soft and subtle way that, you know, it, it <laughs> some some books or some people just they go over the top when they try and get a message of of especially like multiculturalism in they go so heavy-handed that you're like okay my god like just dial it back this was so beautifully subtle and it didn't paint the the white people that we see the blonde hair blue-eyed white people that we see as the white saviors they didn't come to take over and be oh i am the greatest and oh no no i'll save you from your your primitive ways they integrated with the different cultures that were located around the savage land all the different cultures worked together instead of working kind of against each other or trying to you know, you know my way is right no you know my way is right no they they integrated they worked together they talked it out and it came down to the respect me i respect you it's all good and even if we have conflict we can figure out a way working together to make ourselves better yeah, it's nice that they become essentially mediators of the Savage Land. Like, they're not arbiters of anything, but they're just there. Like, if there's conflict, they're there to show up and be like, hey, we're not the cops, but how can we work this out so that it's mutually beneficial to the polar bear bat? Look at that polar bear bat. I love that polar bear bat. I want that polar bear bat. Somebody can find me a polar bear bat. I would like <laughs> to have one for real. What I doubly love most about it uh, is that it's just a polar bear with bat wings. Yeah, it's yes. a polar bear with yes. bat wings. It could not possibly fly, but it looks cool. <laughs> Oh, that would uh, be terrifying. This is this is one of Bruce's missing children. He made his way over to this <laughs> universe in this comic series. <laughs> we get an, yeah, uh, no. we get a metal Archaeopteryx. We get a cyber hummingbird. Oh, that was so cool! I loved the different animals that you got to see after you know the Polyscions uh, took Demovoy apart and then became a part of the Savage Lands themselves. I think they did such a beautiful job at showing the blending between you know the physical the flesh the bone and then also the the mechanical or or machine aspects so yeah you got that little weird flying lizard type thing you've got a metal like dinosaur down at the river's edge with people fishing little metal snakes and uh little metal rats and then yeah that that beautiful uh organic cybernetic type hummingbird was so good i wanted to shout out this that really great scene where shanna uh, puts her hands out like she's Doctor Strange t- against the <laughs> Dreadnoughtus mm-hmm. and says, I am a mighty river, a lake, yes. an inland sea. It's like this whole like thing that she says here is like so incredibly badass and cool and would be not out of place in like a Miyazaki film. Oh, in the in the effects right before it where it's like boom, boom, like path, like just like her weird like little you believe fireworks that she's throwing out. Like, mm, like the whole page is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, and she's using the plants to do that, which there are certain types of plants that do something similar to it so it was awesome to see that they had basically plant life that helped mimic modern day things like that would be considered a flare gun but there are definitely plants that shoot up pods that explode and and that way they can disperse their seeds so i'm like oh my god they they did the thing and that actually does happen so yay i gotta ask jonah did you have a favorite polyscion at all probably would be the dreadnought 
about us. One thing it's really cool taking what is meant to be this very, uh, when you look at all these dinosaurs, and dinosaurs already are pretty intimidating when you think about the scale that they were on. Mm -hmm. You look at this giant uh, walking carcass holding (laughs) multiple mechanized dead carcassi flying out of its eye. (laughs) Carcasses. Carcasses. And you're like, that's horrifying. And then I think it's even doubly horrifying that they chose this method of transportation but i was like damn this is cool how did you like that final scene jonah where the very last thing we see on the page is that they've seemingly built their new home atop the dreadnoughtus oh i love it it's very flintstones to me totally um yes a nice little home where i would love i would love like matthew to like (laughs) fall uh, like uh uh go down like the slide uh, the tail (laughs) slide Zabu finally got a girlfriend, and now she's like just gonna talk to him all day, and he's gonna be like, Tiger." Me in this issue, that Tiger was just speaking Damoclo's words, even though it wasn't the same like text bubble or anything like that. It never seemed to have like its own personality outside of Damoclo, and I wonder how that's gonna play out. Well, I mean, I think most of the uh scions were for at least some amount controlled by Damoclo, and Damoclo's voice could come through them. So honestly, I took that as being part of an extension of his consciousness Mm -hmm. not necessarily that that is the absolute what she believed in but also that was uh damavoy's companion for i think a longer time so he had really taken time to refine and like put the most effort into making this familiar so it made some amount of sense that they that Damavoy had given them speech because he needed kind of a bridge between himself and the other polyscience so I love how at the end scene she is shown there laying right next to Zabu and the plunder family who are not going to be the plunder family anymore so we've, we've all got, we know that Kazar and Shauna has their own name I did find it particularly touching you know that whole conversation with Matthew like hey can I pick out a new name and they're like of course call yourself whatever you like and that's just such a amazingly beautiful reaffirming like little thing in the story and just the fact that they were just like of course babe whatever you want call yourself whatever you like we're here for you like i loved seeing that moment did anybody else have that sort of resonation with that moment with them or was it just my queer little heart took it almost as a, a an exceedingly subtle nod to bodily autonomy um especially when it comes to uh you know kids i cannot stay my birth name and I cannot stand the name that I was given shortly after birth when I was adopted. Um, both of those names are just like, ugh, when I hear them. In fact, I really cringe sometimes when I hear them. My chosen name, the name that I prefer, the name that I like to go by, the name that resonates the most with me is Raven. And so like when I get to hear people use that name, it just, it, for some reason it really affirms who I am as a person. So to see these two actually loving parents who actually put in the work to to educate their child and to make them a fully functional adult you know when he goes well you know my name's matthew but i really don't like that name it doesn't fit for who i am to the savage lands can i change that they're like oh yeah of course you can by all means it's like thank you for validating his bodily autonomy i love the colors in all these fight scenes they're extremely good i would love to like read through this all again and think more about the color choices around the turning point of the fight with Damavoy after getting kicked in the face by Matthew at one point. Mm-hmm. All of Damavoy's text starts being slanted slightly out of the like the plane of the panel and I mm. have not been able to figure out why that would be. I 
it seems like it's an intentional choice, but every single bubble since then is like at this interesting tilt where it's not actually in the plane of the panel. It seems like it's something that like, it's something that like the other characters could look directly at and read. Hmm. I am looking at that now and oh, right? okay. Like I, I see what you're saying. Oh my God. Like that's really. I don't think I've ever seen that before and I haven't seen that throughout the entire rest of the series, but I just suddenly noticed after that kick that Dom Boy's head is not on straight or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's some, that's some genius level lettering. I didn't even notice it, but you can like looking at it, you can see it going on throughout the whole thing after that. I think it's almost like his life is starting to fade. Yeah. Also shout out to the dad, you're a fucking squid page with that bright. <laughs> that was amazing. It is so pulp and it is so like amazingly gorgeous and full of dramatic action. Like it's gross. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of what I love about this series, it's got all of the old school pulp sensibilities, which, you know, mm-hmm. Kazar is basically based off of Tarzan, right? I mean, same character put in the Marvel Universe, given some different names. Obviously, evolution has happened since then, but we are able to see that evolution of that pulp style brought into the modern era with an art style that still gives us some of that pulp feel because like the coloring and the, the coloring especially mm-hmm. helps to evoke that old school feel with that like going on then we've got this whole book about evolution so i just think it all ties it all together so well what are we hoping for in the future of the savage land with the evolution that we're seeing here? Oh, well I, I definitely want to see how the polycyons feed into the savage land and how they they integrate into the savage land but i can also see where their integration is going to cause some problems because they are they are machines and they are machines with the capability of some sentience, some sapience, some self-awareness. So, like, seeing how they develop and what kind of intelligence they develop. And, you know, will will the machines start thinking that, oh, no, 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 we we do know better. Domovoy might have been on something. Maybe we should push further into the technology. I Like, I, I really want to see that. Or are we going to see, like, outside influences again try and come into the savage land and go oh no 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 the, you know this is better this is we know the way it's gonna bend or it's gonna break i like that now that this series has in depth and pretty fully interrogated marvel comics's relationship with old colonialist often racist pulp fiction and pulp novels mm-hmm. of this type i would say that i'm looking forward to future Kazar stories and future savage land stories that are more along the lines of what swamp thing is at its best rather than mm-hmm. re- repeating the same kind of like Tarzani tales. I really do hope that anybody who touches this storyline in the future like explores the other (laughs) oh god yes please like absolute number one choice but like if anybody else touches this I hope that they do explore the indigenous cultures located around the savage lands. Yes. Because I would love to know more about them. Because I mean like each of them was wildly different in the way they looked so I'd love to see if they are also so, um, you know, different in their culture, different in the way they harmonize and integrate with the land. Like, I really want to see these other cultures as well. The Savage Land is absolutely humongous and can mm-hmm. host a bevy of different civilizations and unique indigenous peoples that I would also love to see explored. I'm not sure how many have actually been explored. I think we've only really met the ones through the eyes of characters when they've been interacting with Kazar. I think there's an untapped well of stories you can tell with these different cultures. And because it's the land is so vast, you can largely just make up new ones.
ones if you want to. You don't need there. I don't even think there's enough to like pre-establish. So I, I think the and this is how I always view the Savage Land. That the Savage Land is this really cool, awesome place that they just they don't use. They don't go there, and it's I didn't get it. It's out of the way. It doesn't make too much sense <laughs> to always go there. Blah 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 blah. Yes, I understand all that logic. Marvel doesn't always take it seriously, though. Yeah, like you said. <laughs> but it's like there are so many cool creatures, and then we got a whole different like a whole subsect of more. And even if they weren't specifically drawn or mentioned final thoughts for this amazing issue this amazing series I just say for me personally like marvel fucking give me more like zach mm-hmm. thompson bringing it keep zach thompson keep him growing give me another visit to the savage land the book brought up what we need to do that beautiful letter at the end really brought it home mm-hmm. to a personal level but like let's just see more of the shit absolutely yep i agree for me, uh, I, I would love to definitely see more from Zach Thompson, or Jermaine Garcia. More plant body horror, more interesting creatures and stories within the Savage Land, more mm-hmm. of the Kazar family, previously known as the Plunder family. And I would love everybody to just go step outside if you have the opportunity and just appreciate the beautiful earth we live on. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. That's a great sentiment. And I'd yes. like to I'd like to vote that instead of the Kazar family, we call it the She-Devil family because there's already a lesson. Ooh. Hell yeah! The she devil. Matthew the She-Devil. Or the Not-Writers. <laughs> <laughs> I like the She-Devil family. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, even beyond like what I'd hope for the comic, what I'd hope for the readership is that they like definitely take some advice from Zach Thompson and the rest of the team's words at the end here. German Garcia, Alvaro Lopez, Mateus. Learn to grow your own food. Go to climate mm-hmm. markets. Pay attention to the types of trees in your neighborhood. Learn foraging. Mm-hmm. Learn to interact with your local world. Like it's not, I mean, like watching nature documentaries about animals out in different parts of the world is always really interesting, but like learn what kind of trees grow in your neighborhood, what kind of flowers there are and learn how you can learn to grow them and tend them and cultivate them yourself. There are so many different like sources out there that can teach you how to grow your own food from like plant cutoffs that you've, you know, you've gone to the grocery store and, oh yeah, you know, I've got this uh, sweet potato. We soak it in some water and next thing you know, it's sprouting. I did that several times (laughs) with my fish tanks and then I ended up planting the vines and I actually got sweet potatoes out of them and they were delicious. Uh, But you can do it with like garlic and pineapple and like you can do it a ton of different things and you don't necessarily always need a ton of room in order to grow them allowing like say milkweed to grow in your yard instead of cutting it down helps feed the butterfly population learning what things are truly weeds and maybe have no value that we foresee and what things are weeds that we just don't like because they don't look pretty and knowing what to prune out Learning that little bit about your area is going to help improve and grow and help evolve. Absolutely. Yeah, if you have a if you have a large lawn, please turn it into wildflowers. That's that's all I ask. Rooftop gardening is great. Oh my god, yes. Cities honestly need to start listening and being mindful of the kind of plants that they are planting and actually distribute and disseminate the fruit or the food that grows. Not everybody has the the time or the space to do that, but you know, just finding a little something that you can grow for yourself and, you know, use the fruit or whatever comes out of what you're growing, like kind of gives you a new appreciation for one, you know, produce as a whole 
but two, the fact that these fruits and vegetables are going to be delicious, even if they don't look like the ones that are supposed to look like in the grocery store. And there's so much waste behind that. Hey everybody, Nico here again. So, all right, the Shang-Chi segment. It runs a little long, but there's so much to talk about and there's so much emotional resonance here, right? One of the things that was really fascinating is how much this story got all of us to talk about our own family experiences and our own understanding of what it means to be loyal. And I think that's sort of the hallmark of an incredibly powerful book when it's able to get people to react with it on a textual level and make it so personal. We love making this show for you guys three times a week, every week, whether that's Magic Mondays, X-Men X Wednesdays, or Marvel Fanfare Friday. So until next time, guys, keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open. I'm Nico. You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Enjoy this last segment, and we'll see you next Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcasts, the show where we take a look at Marvel's mutants, magic, and many weapon societies week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm TK, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at xnatexgrayx. I'm Kyle. You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at drantis82. That's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. Hi, I'm Steven. You can find me on Twitter at Steven of Wonder and on Facebook as an admin for the House of North Star. And I'm Nico, and you guys can find me in that house of the deadly fist because that's where i'll be hanging it's where all the hotties are or you can find me on twitter and instagram at nico action that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n and today we're talking about shang chi number eight closing out the family of origin storyline we've got writer gene yang artist deke ruan colorist triona farrell vcs travis lanham on letters we've got gorgeous cover art by lineal francis Yu and sunny go as well as a variant cover by jim chung this story really got me excited because I picked up Shang-Chi for the first time over this past week. And this is the culmination of a lot of great storylines. The story picks up in media res right after the last issue. We are in the middle of a very problematic set of circumstances for Shang-Chi. You guys, what were you hoping to see as you closed out issue number seven? Kind of mapping the narrative journey of Shang-Chi. You know, when I think about the fact that, you know, you were asking me, you know, I want to be more uh, up to date on Shang Chi, and I was thinking about let me let me give you everything I can think of from the last couple of months, and I I thought about you know the first mini series, okay, and then there's the Legend of Shang Chi by Alyssa Wong, there's the four part Infinity comic by Alyssa Wong, there's this volume, there's the repurposing of the first mini series as an Infinity comic, which I even thought kind of worked better maybe a little bit, right, you know, and I, there's so many threads going that for this story to very suddenly pivot to being about his family, which I liked. I really did. But it did feel like this was maybe meant to time out with the film pretty well. And I thought that maybe we were past the film timeout kind of moment. I thought, you know, oh, that was earlier, but maybe shipping and printing delays and COVID and boats and uh, canals, maybe everything's just been delayed. And with that in mind, I think what I had been hoping for was 
is maybe a little bit more why she eats bugs. You know what I mean? Like I've been hoping <laughs> for a little bit more conclusiveness because this even ends non-conclusively. And I found myself very eager for more, which I hadn't expected to be. So I was looking for a conclusion and that's not what I got, but that ultimately made me happier. Yeah, that makes sense. I was hoping that I was wrong about Jilan and that she was not actually turning against Shang-Chi. So, yay. I was also kind of hoping that we'd see, like, Sister Hammer come back because they keep referring to her in a lot of the flashbacks and she just has been not here. So it makes sense that they're bringing back all the family. Let's bring all the family back. Maybe they're saving her for, like, a final arc surprise. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking now. The series is continuing, right? Because it does say that Marcus Toe is taking on the art for the next issue. I didn't necessarily see this as the ending of of an arc, I guess. I saw this as it's just still not quite done. I was hoping for a little bit more of a resolution to to the storyline, but I'm kind of settled into, okay, so I guess I'm still along for the ride and that's totally fine. I just want to say that Shang-Chi is very important, but may I introduce you to our Lord and Savior, Sister Staff? I am so happy that I was right and that she totally did not actually betray Shang-Chi because I just love her so much and I just want her to join Koa one day in the future, in the future, you know, not as a villain. I was very happy insofar as I liked the character and I want to see this family grow and get tighter. I did feel a little bit like it was a reveal that was really highly telegraphed. And in that way, I ended up being a little bit disappointed in how it functioned as a storytelling device. I'm wondering how you guys, I mean, obviously we're all happy to see her uh, on the team, but did anybody else feel a little let down by, you know, the this turn that I think I, I personally was really expecting? I did think that the turn was so sudden. And at first I was... A, I I was a little disappointed by that. I just think that the pacing had a little bit of an issue. More of the backstory was inserted and it was while she was telling the story in the last issue, I felt like it was just a lot better placed and this felt like, okay, let's shoehorn it in a little bit more, you know? However, I did still enjoy the issue. I just wish there was a little bit more. Like this issue could have actually just been longer and I would not have even noticed. I've really been enjoying the the good healthy dose of down dick we've been getting of all of these like fucking fantastic secret mutants like I feel like I'm constantly turning around and I'm like well fuck there's a mutant in my closet what are you doing in here little closet mutant come on out (laughs) and you know I give them a nice little Krakoa candy bar and we talk about old X-Men comics and where they were secretly in the background and so then I go outside and I'm walking down the street and I'm like oh my god do you guys see that awesome black panther that black panther's walking around with a mutant and all of a sudden (laughs) there's a new shiar character running around in wakanda in the pages of kurt busick's the marvels just brought up how much i love warbird yesterday 
And then here's a new Warbird thing. I'm fucked by it. <laughs> I'm so excited. Plus, we have in Death of Doctor Strange, we have the reveal that... Jackie a... Chopra. Yes! Yep. That Jackie Chopra is secretly a mutant. I'm so happy with the amount of, well, f- secretly fuck all, there's a mutant behind the bread box. Like, it really does feel a little bit like Elf on a Shelf, but it's like Mutie in a hoodie, and it's just everywhere. I mean, that's a funny point that you just made because it could feel like a little bit like tokenism almost. But I gotta say, I'm living for it because this really is the reign of Krakoa, you know? And I think it's also the reign of an editorial office no longer bound by an edict that said, play down that you're the most successful thing we got. And that's, for me, there was no choice. She kind of couldn't become a bad guy, bad guy. And because of that, and because she is, his sister you don't want to limit them by the agency of of you know that kind of i'm trying to, if you're not going to introduce a romantic thing she kind of has to function within the hierarchy of the family society unless you're gonna give her a friend unless you're gonna have wolverine come around and be like hey bub you want to be on krakoa but i don't think they're ready to go that far right, so like yeah. unless they're going to invest in her right unless they're going to treat her like a roth ira I think they need to kind of play the good guy, bad guy thing. So tropey, yes. But as long as it keeps her in the pages, I'll take it. I was just thinking yesterday about how, where the fuck is D-Cell? Like, yes, I'm where the living fuck is D-Cell? And there's so many cool new mutants. And it does feel like this wasn't just telegraphed, but it was telegraphed because there was no other choice. It was this or she just didn't get a story. I was surprised. I was happy. It came so sudden that I went back and I'm like oh shit she was actually a double agent I'm really excited that that was the case <laughs> yeah I mean it was rushed but I, I did like how it ended up happening it's funny because she was introduced in a story with Wolverine by the way mm-hmm. yep. I mean I still love her and I still want her to succeed it's just I do worry that once this is over she's never going to be brought up again and that's why I keep bringing her up because I just want more of her I mean, I think her popularity in this story will lead at some point another writer, and I'd be happy to see it be an X writer, pull her into something. She's going to become somebody's favorite and they're going to have, you know, they're going to get on a book and say, now's my time. I'm the one who gets to grab this character and put her on X-Force. Exactly. Let it be Alyssa Wong. Let it be yes. Alyssa Wong. Let it who, be Alyssa yes, Wong. Alyssa Wong. Who also- I just so want to write X-Men stories. And we have such a heavy anchor on Krakoa that is putting tendrils out all over over the place and as Nico said we're seeing mutants everywhere we go. Nico you brought up the fact that this is showing reflections of the movie and it's something that I had been wondering about since I started reading the Shang-Chi Brothers and Sisters Infinity comic. You know it was such a popular film in 2021 and I think it really spotlighted this character for a lot of people who did not know about him. It showed enormous promise and I think we see with the MCU there's always a point at which the 616 is going to in some way have to start making references to what's going on in the MCU and I'm wondering what you guys felt about the fact that we finally sort of in these last couple issues especially started to see a lot of elements of what was discussed in the Shang-Chi movie in the comic 
I was so excited to go see that movie because, you know, it felt like Marvel was taking a chance. And I was honestly excited to go see a movie, mask on the whole time. And it was a, it was a good experience. You know, it was pretty, still pretty Panda-y, you know, still a pretty heavy time. But it was a really good time to get out there and see a movie, right? And I love how completely different the movie is from the comic. I think that the Ten Rings are one of the coolest visual things I have ever seen in my life. They are bang orang so cool right and like i specific tk i can really specifically see you using them really well <laughs> right like, i don't know what it is but like i think you the shape of your arms and the way you move like right it would it would fit but so i would like to see that highest I, compliment i've ever been paid i feel like that's genuinely and like i'm not trying to be but like unless this is what the creative team wanted this was the story they had in mind i didn't need i loved the movie i bought the spirit sticks the the dragon sticks like i bought the toys to play with because i I mean i love the movie i got the jacket like i loved this movie right and i really unless it's shang chi running around with the 10 rings looking like simu all the time i don't know how much i need it i like the comics characters better i greatly not like there's anything wrong with the film's characters who were tremendous but they're film characters and they're very specifically related to performances i liked I love the characters of the comic for being comic characters who I can see surviving long term under different people's pens expressing like I could see almost any one of these characters showing up somewhere else. One of them could show up in Savage Avengers. One of them could show up in an X-Men book. One of them could show up in Defenders. Like these characters have that sort of gravitas, whereas I do think, you know, the film's character is tremendous, but felt very linked to performances from genuine genuine, authentic Asian voices, which is a little bit, you know, it's a different way you create, right? It's a different mindset. One is about preserving the artist. One is about a character that will preserve in store. So I really didn't need it. But if it goes somewhere, you know, as as previously mentioned, this leaves off on like a quite a cliffhanger. If the cliffhanger here can deliver me something that keeps the story going, keeps the ideas moving, then I'm in. I'm totally in. But, you know, I'm also really fascinated, TK, by your experience with it, because like, you did just read so much of this all at once. I would love to know how that reflects in your experience of digestion. I mean, it was in the back of my mind the whole time. Part of the reason that I did want to get into this is because I saw so much promise in the film and in the characters. And it, you know, we have over 20 MCU films now. We've really started to get a sense of what happens in the comics based on what happens with the performance of the movie, both in, at the box office and how fans react to the performances. So as soon as I started reading, it was in the back of my mind. A, this is obviously very different. Shang-Chi has many siblings in this. The relationship with his father is similar, but much more complicated and has a lot of details that are things from the Marvel Universe that would be too expansive to put in the films. I was always aware that something was going to happen wherein we would start to see links to the film. And I was honestly kind of refreshed and surprised by the fact that it took them this long to get there. I mean, these stories have been coming out for 
well over a year and the film has been out for more than six months at this point. I was expecting that I was going to start to see this stuff and that, yeah, to a certain degree, it would take away. It might feel a little cynical as though, you know, perhaps the writer didn't get to tell the story that he wanted to tell because he had to hit the story beats that would associate it with the film. To see it sort of packed neatly into the end of an arc that began with very little reference to see that it was not like surprise you don't have any siblings except your one sister who runs the ten rings and it's creating a similar mythos in Talo that we got to the films but it's not requiring everything to be the same so I do see a lot of potential in what Talo could do for Shang-Chi as a character in the comics and that that association will allow the character to perform better in terms of how audiences that saw the film become interested in and can associate him in the comics. I especially agree with Nico where I didn't necessarily need the story, but I do look at this as the kind of new normal because of just the the world that has been shaped from the MCU, not just in the MCU specific, but in the comics. We now have these these new fans coming in, hopefully, from these movies and they want to pick up these books and then they're like, well, this is nothing like what I've watched on the screen. So they have to fit in a little bit here, a little bit there. And unfortunately, Shang-Chi doesn't have as much of a notoriety as some of the other characters that have had the movies already. We did get this and it was in the the writer's you know own perspective he he did change some of it what he felt was necessary he added more characters which i really did appreciate because i feel like that gives a more extended feel for the rest of what shang chi means in in the marvel universe in 616 you know his siblings can show up can show up anywhere you know there i feel like he's he's given he's given shang chi in in many different flavors and you know you'll see this character in another book potentially and you'll say oh my gosh this is awesome let me see where they're from oh my gosh they're from Shang-Chi yay Shang-Chi you know what I mean I could be I could be wrong I could be you know maybe conflating it but I just feel like I I've been really enjoying the series because of what it means to have this character be even bigger in you know in the MCU and also now in the comics I'm very far behind on all of the Marvel uh, movies and TV shows at this point, so I have not yet seen Shang-Chi. Oh, that's actually that's, awesome. That's actually yeah. great for, for this perspective. I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess Kyle, the question for you is, how did you feel about the introduction of Talo and Shang-Chi's grandfather okay. and the greater context that we got for his background, his mother's background? Yeah. Well, I think that it's it's a pretty interesting idea that Shang-Chi is half from another dimension and that half of his family has been tasked with protecting these weapons from being taken from into the 616 universe. It's really interesting and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in Talo and if it might bleed out into other books that we see in the future. It's so interesting that they're doing this like theme of so many things aren't what you thought they were in the Marvel Universe. I feel like for 10 years they tried to do, well, everything you thought, here's some new shit. And everybody was kind of like, uh... 
and so some of it worked. You got your Mileses, you got your Jane Thors, right? Some of it really resonated and some of it didn't. And, you know, we saw a female ghost writer come and go before we got Robbie Reyes and Kushala, which have really resonated a lot better. And this is sort of part of that upcoming Judgment War kind of vibe of things you never knew about the characters you love. And if this gets me those 10 rings, I'm very here for it. But I do wonder how this changes things in an interesting way. Sort of like any time we see Wolverine uh, in the past where it kind of makes no sense that he doesn't have his claws or does have his claws or his senses work or they don't work or he is a mutant or he isn't. You know, it's always those things where it's like, hmm, I just wonder how this adjusts canon for classic fans in a meaningful way. Well, I mean, I kind of have a feeling that we are moving towards the Ten Rings because if you look at that preview on the last page, you see, I mean, there's only nine on that page, but it seems kind of hinting heavily. (laughs) Yeah, I, I agree with Kyle. I do want to see him with the rings. I still think it fits his character in this it would elevate him to a more superhuman level not that that's necessarily needed but i like it i do think he's gonna end up getting the 10 rings and i'm looking forward to it because i was so stoked to see that on the cover of the next issue one of the big things about this book has been shang chi's ties to his father's legacy taking over the five weapon society constantly trying to push back against the feeling that he was raised in a cult and it has been a rewarding journey to sort of see him navigate that find ways to break out of it learn you know when to stay firm in the fact that he is his own person and when to accept that he comes from a lineage and he has baggage from that and this story now is telling us that he has a whole other set of circumstances on his mother's side of the family that he now has to deal with what do you guys think about this new journey that Shang-Chi is going to have to go on to sort of learn about and reckon with his mother, his grandfather, and their origins. I'm really excited about this. I'm just really interested in this whole new environment for Shang-Chi to explore. He hasn't seen his mom since he's a little kid. His grandfather just automatically assumed that this little kid is evil because he did what his dad told him to do right after watching his mom get sucked into the, the negative zone. I really want to see him explain what's actually what his motivation is to his grandfather now and hopefully we'll see some kind of reconciliation between the the two of them I don't think it's that much of a secret among some some of the people here uh, that I have a very contentious relationship with my family. So I just want to (laughs) say, because I come from a very problematic family myself, that I think this old man needs to grow the fuck up, grow a set of balls or whatever, and get over it. He was like eight years old. He threw a cup at him. Are you seriously holding that against a child? Oh my. 
my god. Yep. I was so... Okay, so I love the story, and I understand that, like, adults are just terrible. But, like, holy crap, when I realized that that was at the core of this old, crotchety man, his issues, I was so annoyed. I mean, like, it was believable, to be honest with it. To, to be honest with you, I'm not gonna lie. But, like, it just pissed me off for Shang-Chi so much. I hope he gets to punch him in the face and say, I was eight, get over it, and just walk away. You know, I also think there's something so important to the fact that, you know, TK, the heart of your original question, that this idea of the duality, the dual nature of the the heritage structure here, and how it changes the outcome of how we sort of look at Shang-Chi. And I think one of the things that it really highlights for me is that Shang-Chi's story for the number of women it had lacked a lot of feminine energy early on. It was a very male-based story about a man. Uh, You know, I think the fist is a very phallic idea at all times. It's very punch. It's kind of um, like a forceful. Yeah, it's got that kind of penetrative idea to it. But I think we've sort of seen over time the sense of, you know, Captain Hammer. No, not Captain Hammer. (laughs) Um, She was, you know, as Commander Hammer, she was a very coded male figure. And her whole story was about overcoming gender obstacle to be taken seriously as a warrior. And now here we sit on the other side of sort of the Shang-Chi has taken the jump divide and we see his world is filled with a number of strong women now. And specifically when Alyssa Wong writes him, she likes to bring in Liku, who is such a fantastic character. She can't get enough of her, right? And I think by not just giving his mother agency in this, by putting his mother in the, the role of somebody who has shaped her son's outcome, regardless of her involvement, it elevates her to a similar level as his father it makes her contributions to his life equally important so frequently in male-led stories it's the patriarchy that influences the sort of flavor of the soup that is the character that is the kid you know but here we do see two chefs kind of coming together to make that flavor right a a real delicious kind of um, mix of ideas here where there is still a lot of the classic comic but by making it his mother even if I don't necessarily need it it does create a paradigm shift we're no longer bound by the idea of masculine energy and you know talking about the possibility of getting the rings the rings are of course a very yonic idea inherently it's not a spear it's not a punch it's an encasing idea it's uh something that wraps around you not that necessarily it's even a maternal thing because they're just going around his arms but you know how often are we cold and we just want to put on something with nice warm sleeves you know what i mean (laughs) and like i'm not saying that shang chi is like i'm gonna put on the the 10 rings and think of my mommy but like they're not a javelin right rings are more associated with the more feminine ideal of devotion and loyalty and even in some ways submission so i completely understand and agree with what you're saying yeah so if anything i love that it is now coming from his mother in this again it's another i'm not you're not my fucking mother so um I think it's great that it's coming from his mom because it does add a sort of yonic element to a world that is phallically dominated, even when it is filled with amazing female characters. Well, yeah. And, you know, you talk about the influence now that we're seeing from his mother.
grandmother in terms of his backstory, but in his immediate life, we've seen the removal of the most masculine influence in his family, his brother Takeshi, and we've added another sister. We have Esme being an incredibly strong presence. So it's very interesting. We all, on the other side of things, we have Lady Iron Fan being really the most vocal antagonist here. So it's very interesting the way that Shang-Chi is interacting with so many women and, you know, he he has so much sort of to answer to in the form of strong women who have opinions on what he's doing and who are really his equal. Oh, I love that, especially because that's kind of what Shang-Chi is always saying all the time, isn't he? That yes. he doesn't necessarily want to lead. He wants to be part of the leadership. And this idea of creating a communal space with women is definitely a huge shift from his father's format and sort of even supports why the heroes need to be giving Shang-Chi a little bit more a little bit more wiggle room here. I'm not saying people need credit for equality, but I'm saying when somebody's first move is creating equality in his situation, that really does say something. Yes, absolutely. I also think it's interesting that the one character that was quote unquote betrayed by Shang-Chi was actually his brother and he he is left in you know his community with his sisters and Esme being such a strong presence in throughout the story you know she is the voice in his ear that's sort of ribbing him the whole time and at the same time really supporting his mission and following his lead and sort of demanding that he lead while he demands that she come join him in leadership and that takes us all the way to the arrest of Takeshi in which she represents the feeling of betrayal because we don't have Takeshi's voice there. She is the one holding him to account for this. And while he feels morally as though he's on the right foot, she's been a very important presence in reminding him that there's more to morality than just, you know, doing what the heroes tell you you're supposed to do. There's this element of family that always complicates things. And like, I want to be like, yes, Esme, yes. But I also kind of want to be like, no, Esme, not really. Because, you know, Takeshi did bad. And, you know, when Takeshi does bad, Takeshi should stand trial for what he's done. And I appreciate that to her, there's, but this is that, this is exactly that. This is why Daredevil cannot ever take over the hand. This is why Kingpin cannot ever go legit. This is why Weapon X and the Weapons Plus project cannot ever be connected to anything good for very long. Because anytime you put a, a sort of like I guess I'm also making an argument against Krakoa but maybe not because Krakoa is a nation it's just anytime you put a group of people who want to contain absolute power absolutely who are who even say oh we submit to checks and balances we're just not going to submit to your checks and balances you know when you when you have a group like that it's hard to always root for them for me right because I do see the greater picture are they going to continue to protect him as his actions could lead to people dying how many people have to die for it to be okay to turn on family. 
And it really is difficult because I don't agree with Esme here. I think if you want to make your brother Shang-Chi's life easier as your leader, he has to do the right thing as a leader, not as a brother. And asking him to do both is literally impossible. I think that's why I stand more with Jilan on this. A thousand percent, yeah. A thousand percent. Same. Because she sees that while family is important, that there are other factors that need to be considered when dealing with people doing the wrong thing. And I like that after the last few issues where we thought that she was turning against Shang-Chi because of this perceived abandonment of Takeshi to the Avengers, that she actually doesn't feel that way. That it was all part of the act. And that she she seems like she's going to be a great asset to Shang-Chi reforming the Five Deadly Weapons Society. Yes, I agree. Especially since she did side with Shang-Chi on that. It feels like her devotion to him or her loyalty to him is just that much more solid to me, even more so than Deadly Dagger. Well, I was going to ask you, TK, I would love to know how you feel. One of the things I think is so amazing that you keep going on these crazy comic journeys with me. (laughs) I keep being like, do you want to read this? And you keep being like, I will read any book. Mm -hmm. And I've been, you know, so lucky to get to have the opportunity to talk about these different facets of the Marvel Universe with you. And one of the things that I've noticed comes up a lot in our discussion of the things you love are these sort of these sort of protected societies Mm -hmm. and the ways in which those protected societies interact with the Marvel Universe at large. It's kind of the way the pocket interacts with the bag. You know what I mean? And I would love to know how you feel about Shang-Chi's decision. Are are you standing with Zhilong or are you standing with Esme? Would you have done the same thing as Shang-Chi? And when are you going to cosplay Pose for me with the rings? We'll have to get on Etsy and see what's available. I already favorited it. We're good. (laughs) (laughs) I come from a very complicated family where loyalty is very much emphasized and valued. And as I was reading, I am not Italian. I am a (laughs) primarily Sephardic Jew. My family is very insular. My family's a total mess now, but growing up, my family was very insular, very protective of each other. A little bit too much of that Lannister, like we always come first, betray everybody on our behalf. All in like cute little, you know, boring main ways. No, no crime. But I grew up with this sense that you put your family first, you take care of them first, and then you worry about everything else. So my instinct upon getting to Takeshi's arrest was that it was the wrong thing to do. And I uh, empathize with Esme a great deal in feeling like these three were a unit that he broke. So I, it was one of those things that I, I was feeling that initial pull to be like, no, he absolutely did the wrong thing. We can work anything out as long as the family stays together. There were other ways around this. But at the end of the day, we are also working with, you know, this idea of being the servant of two masters, this idea of negotiating an incredibly complicated shift in this organization and trying to figure out how to legitimize, lead, and do good. And at a certain point, there's a standard that you have to set that can't be broken regardless of who breaks it. So as I reflected, it was pretty clear to me, of course, that Takeshi needed to stand 
man for his crimes, but I felt Esme's case in my heart a great deal. Wow. I really think I really loved how well thought and how much perspective your answer provides, because I think sometimes I, as someone whose family is annoyingly strong, like my family is the Hogan family theme song, right? Roberta Flack comes on. Life is such a sweet insanity. And we're jogging through the park. Everybody's having a good time. Hey, there's Jason Bateman. You know, it's a good, it's a good moment. Right. And I sometimes I'm like, well, your family would never do you wrong like that. So like, I, don't always have the perspective it takes to realistically assess the sort of nuance and sense of bartering that balancing family with self can be and hearing somebody you know kind of talk about the nature of that struggle and that duality really does help accentuate why this story is so important for these characters you know the fact of the matter is my family kind of ended up not being strong and i think a reason for that was because of a sense of putting ourselves first that made us lose perspective in the grander picture of the world in that way i think shang chi is actually doing what is going to end up being best for the family because they have to exist in the Marvel universe in the in this greater world where there is a lot to answer for and answer to and it can't be family first because the pressures of the world will break that family it's not an innate thing to not put your family first it's very difficult it's a journey to learn I did not know those things either you know my family is extremely overbearing I actually I grew up in in Brooklyn and my family is very loud, very strong Brooklyn Italian mindset. I have, especially within the last few years, I have actually cut my family off because they do not make healthy decisions for themselves and they especially do not make healthy decisions regarding me. And I understood where Esme was coming from, but I agreed and I understood more where Gilan was coming from because that's where I've had to put my own feelings, you know, where where people need to take accountability for their actions people need to take responsibility for the things that they say and do and she was right you know uh, and, and not for nothing but Takeshi did attack her with the intention of murdering her so so I can also understand feeling personally attacked and wanting him to be punished for it even if he is her brother when we talk about the age of Krakoa we're like mutants are family I guess sinister and exodus are creepy uncle I don't know, but X-Men are family. You know what I mean? It gets very fast nine, very Toretto about it all. And I think one of the things that this highlights is in Shang-Chi, they're saying blood, not really a family thing. Honor and love and trust and good thoughts toward each other is family. And like, yeah, I mean, I love my sister. My sister is one of my best friends in the entire world, but I have very little relationship with most of my family at this this point like you know very close to my parents sure and my sister sure but like i kind of like i've kind of let a lot of the rest of my family slide like i think of tk as my bro you know tk is my brother that is more a thing for me than family family yes. is a thing I, for me i am all and about I, chosen family mm-hmm. and like you know kyle is my my best buddy in the whole wide world and steven you and i go back 20 years yeah. and it's a thing where i've defined my family the way x 
X-Men defines family, not the way Shang-Chi does. And I think Shang-Chi even is highlighting here why that's the choice you need to make for yourself. And I'm fascinated by what that says about our generation. You know, I actually find this a really interesting conversation when it comes to Shilon because she does have a much more, now that I think about it, mutant or actually queer mindset in how to go about what Shang-Chi did. You know, she agreed with him. She agreed with the accountability. She agreed with, you know, him having to take, you know, responsibility for what he did. And I feel like, like, I can see even more now from a queer perspective, a chosen family perspective of seeing the wrong that people do and wanting to do you know wanting to do the right thing kyle what do you think about chosen family i think chosen family is incredibly important i don't really get along well anymore with the majority of my family i never really did to begin with i find that having uh, found the people who are important to me and making them my family has deeply improved my life so sup cub <laughs> and i'm liking that that Jilan has chosen to be family with Shang-Chi and that Shang-Chi accepted her no matter, uh, even though she's a, a mutant. And it's weird. She's seeing the different sides that this family can exhibit and she's setting down her boundaries. She's, she's saying, hey, I'm all for supporting family, but if family does bad things, then I don't support that. Yeah, I think that's a so. really great way of putting it. You're right. Yeah. You know, Shang-Chi is looking at it as these are my siblings, you know, and she's looking mm -hmm. at it as I don't know any of you, but I am judging this person based on what he did and you based on what you did. And I think that that's a really a good way of putting it, you know, when I think Shang-Chi is caught between doing that, you know, because he doesn't really know these people either. So he's trying to figure out, can I choose this family and will they choose me? And he's got Jilan sort of as that influence. And on the other side of things, he has as Esme and to a certain degree Takeshi saying we're family no matter what like we have this whole legacy we're tied together no matter what you're stuck with us family first yes, yes. to pivot a little bit we could not talk about this issue without talking about the amazing art and lettering we start with the first panel in motion the rhythm of this book going from incredibly fast moving panels to really great still shots and you see it from page one we see one of Gilan's light, hard light energy burst flying across the room with really gorgeous musical notes. We see Shang-Chi punching her with a great huak. And then the next panel is just her frozen having taken the punch. And we get that sort of rhythm throughout the book punctuated with amazing shing, schnick, flash, just really great lettering and effects for the art that make this such an active story to read, but punctuated by moments of stillness that let you take it all in. I need to replace my nighttime sleep sounds with you enacting sound effects for me. Done. Because that was amazing. <laughs> I think that this is one of those situations where the art is such an intrinsic part of the narrative. It's such a 
part of the experience that even when I love the art substitution, it is unfucking missable that it is not this combination of art team. I have loved every page that Marcus Toe has delivered for Excalibur. Even when Excalibur wasn't my favorite book by narrative, it was certainly a highlight book by artistic merit. And I have found that... You know, he'll. I, I'm very positive on what he's going to bring, but this art team is unforgettable for me. And the depth of using the sound effects as an element of the battle sequences is sort of, you know, for anybody who read the Iron Fist work that I love, that changed my life, you know, ultimately it was a bunch of white people coming in and saying this is what Asian culture is. Not great. And even if it's a fictitious Asian culture, not much better. And, you know, so instead of the seven capital cities, now we have the five houses and instead of the seven immortal weapons there's now the you know five weapons <laughs> and <laughs> and instead of a gateway to kunlun now we have a gateway to talo and instead of rich billionaire industrialist father we have crime lord father like there's consistent parallels that allow us to substitute in and out as needed and put this in the voice of an Asian artist. And something I think is really powerful is that as much as I loved the very tongue-in-cheek, it's sort of like, you know, in Doctor Strange when someone says bang and gets shot with a bullet and some writers have a problem with that. And so then other people put in Latin and they're like, no, I'm sure this is what the Latin meant. And it's like, yeah, well, you can fuck yourself with that because I don't think you can be (laughs) sure about that either. So, you know, I think as much as I loved craning fist kick 1732.5 in every page of Iron Fist, the way the sound effect and the lettering was done here in conjunction with the art creates such a sense of movement that simulates the battle sequences in a way that feels so authentic to these characters' experiences that it's a transformative moment as a reader for me. I felt very pulled in. This had motion comic written all over it. I really enjoyed the art in this series. The way that action was portrayed in it, even how the panels themselves showed movement, it really helped make this feel like a a living story. The sound effects they're awesome and they're a great addition to add to that level of motion. I don't really know what else to add because I feel like I feel like Nico you you summed that up so well. I think the art is so stunning. I am going to miss this artist. Do we know where he's going next? I do not. Bob Quinn is going to jump on tonight's of X in place of Marcus Toe, who is leaving after that successful partnership on Excalibur with Teeny Howard, and he's coming here, but I am unaware where he's headed after this. I really look forward to seeing Degruon on something else, because I just want more of this art. I do think that Marcus Toe is going to do phenomenal on this book. They're still going to miss this art. They're going to miss the style. This issue, despite being a finale for a story, ends on a pretty big cliffhanger. Shang-Chi's grandfather takes his mother away back to presumably Tao Lo, and the gang is left wondering what to do next. And I'm left wondering what do you guys want to see them do next? I don't think I have an exact hope at this point. Like I was, you know, I was saying to you last night, TK, or it might have been this morning, that I think the difficulty for me comes in where is this in terms of the run? Are we looking at the midpoint of a big epic? 
Are we looking at the three-fourths point of something? Are we looking at the one-third point? How much longer is this narrative thread of Shang-Chi is going to run? And I think that kind of tells me what I'm looking for. If this wraps up at 12, okay, we really quickly need to bring back Sister Hammer. We got to fix this. Let's get done, right? Mm -hmm. But if I have 18 more issues, all right. Let's get some rings, let's do some magic, and let's go make sure the Avengers know they look like idiots for constantly thinking Shang-Chi was about to... Like, what did they think this was? Like, there was some sort of, like, crazy panic here. There was some kind of, like, genuinely unnecessary levels of fear-mongering on the parts of the Avengers, and it's so tragic that that is such a powerful allegory for the level of prejudice against Asian and Pacific Islander people uh, faced in in America for the last two years. It's abhorrent. I've been enjoying every issue. I've hated how the Avengers treated him uh, individually and then all together. I actually felt like uh, once they were together, it seemed like they were more like playground bullies once again. Uh, but other than that, I I don't know. I'm just, I'm really down for it. I, I can't wait to see uh, Sister Hammer again. I can't wait to see the rings come in. I want to see Takeshi again. I would like to see uh, him, you know, be brought back, you know, have to, you know, make up for what he's done uh hopefully not be too angry about the fact that his brother you know handed him over to the authorities i want to see the storyline come to a really satisfying you know culmination and i did say this before i really want to see him punch his grandfather in the face and say i was eight and then walk away because that would just satisfy me immensely (laughs) yeah yeah i i definitely want him to uh um, to knock some sense into his grandfather because yeah that his reaction is so stupid towards young <laughs> so stupid he's right he's so right it's just so dumb it's so yep. dumb but it's so dumb it's believable mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah I, I do want to see some time with the Avengers trying to make things a little more understandable between the two groups hopefully seeing more work towards revitalizing the five deadly weapon society again well now what about you tk i know you you know you flew into this title like you know and in that way that you like joyously jump into things you you caught up like with great efficiency <laughs> and i would love to know what you're looking for from this title going forward as somebody who just took it all in so holistically In the immediate, I am really looking forward to seeing Talo. I love adding quite literally another dimension to Marvel canon and having another playground where we can tell stories and where we could potentially pull in other characters. I see a lot of potential for the strange corner of the Marvel Universe touching down in Shang-Chi's corner. I think there are, we've seen a lot of magic in, in these stories and I think I'm very interested to see how that could 
tie into Shang-Chi's story. I'm really hoping in Talo he gets a magical friend of some kind, a magical pet friend of some kind. There just seem to be a lot of really fascinating animals. So, you know, I know we're going there. I know we're going to get some movie elements into this story, and I am okay with that. I, I'm really interested to see how they're rendered on page, how they're made different, and how fans get excited about what's there. In the long term, of course, there's no way we're not going to see Sister Hammer again. There's just, you know, she's the missing piece um, that I think pulls this whole thing together. Of course, I want to see Takeshi answer for his crimes, but hopefully in a way that is both both honors the, the fact that he did something wrong, but also gets him back with his family because I want to see these five siblings interacting together for just a little bit. I know it's not a, a status quo that can stay for the long term, but it's something I would really like to see. And I would like to continue this negotiation of blood and chosen family and seeing how these siblings all come together to both embrace and reject the legacies from which they were born. Oh my gosh, TK, if they brought in Morris because of the movie and giving him a little magical pet, yes, I that's would correct. absolutely die. That I want is, him to get That's the Morris. right answer. Yes, I want him to get Morris and I want him to get a Kieran because I feel like that would just be such an epic thing for the book. Yeah, and then they can join the Pet Avengers, which I'll be writing in 2025. <laughs> they can be there with Thori. Exactly. 